Hey, I'm Nick Crawford, one of the pastors here, and I'm kind of like this, I don't know, washed up, never was, something kind of athlete. And uh, here's Swayze Waters with me today, and Swayze's washed up too, but the difference between Swayze and I is that he's a real athlete. He used to play pro football. He's retired now, and he works for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Swayze's also a deacon here, and Swayze and I are thrilled and excited to preach the Word of God into your homes tonight. We are in the third week of a series that we've called Wish I Knew That Sooner. We're looking at some very important lessons that have been passed down for ages through the scriptures. And today we're going to be asking a question, what are you training for? What are you training for? Training is very different from trying. Trying is scattered. Trying is scattered. You can be making big moves out there, but not really get anywhere. Trying is captured in an old adage, an old proverb that goes like this. The man who chases 20 rabbits catches zero. He's scattered. Trying is scattered, but training is different. It's quite different, in fact. It implies that there's a focused pursuit towards some outcome. There's a goal out there, and you're headed to it. You want to accomplish that goal, too. As a matter of fact, let's just face the facts here. All of us love to accomplish stuff. We hunger for it. We thrive on it. We love to accomplish stuff. It gets us going. Some of us even want to climb to the top of the mountain, top of the world. But the, the reality is that even the greatest accomplishments are just blips on the historical record. They don't last. Yet some of us still want to climb. Some of us even to the top of the world. And some have. Mount Everest is the literal top of the world, standing some 29,029 feet above sea level at its summit. And it's very dangerous to climb. Very dangerous. Volatile, harsh wind, unpredictable weather patterns. And the top 2,500 feet or so to the summit is called the death zone. It's called the death zone because there is not enough oxygen. It sits such, at such a high altitude, there's not enough oxygen for human beings to breathe. Yet, there's still some eight or 900 people that attempt to summit Everest each and every year and not all make it. For those that do, here's what they get. To get to the top of the world, you know what you get in exchange? About 10 minutes and a selfie. About 10 minutes in a selfie, months of training, tens of thousands of dollars in permits, gear, guides for about 10 minutes at the top. Climbing to the top of the world involves a lot of training, but it's a very fleeting experience. You can get to the top of the world. You can get to the top of the world, but if you get there, you might just find yourself wondering, when did I get out of it? Scripture teaches that there's something that we can train for today, right now, that actually profits this life and the life to come. It's called godliness, and we're going to be looking at godliness through the lens of 1 Timothy 4. We're going to read verses 6 through 10. Let's read it right now. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you followed have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive 
because we have our hope set on the living God who is Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So the main idea today, what is it that we wish you knew sooner? We wish you knew that training for godliness profits not only this life, but also the life to come. So godliness, what is it? What in the world is it? It means devotion and action. It means devotion to God that results in a life that is pleasing to God. It's devotion and action, and we get a picture of it through one of the biblical characters. We meet him for the very first time in Genesis 5. His name is Enoch. Not a lot on Enoch. Four verses, but in four very short verses, we get two descriptions of him. It says that Enoch walked with God. Then that's it. Poof. He's gone. Gone. We don't know where he went. He's gone. He went up with God. Four verses, two pretty good compliments, but not too much on Enoch. However, Enoch pops up again. He shows up again in Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of the Bible that we call the Hall of Faith. So wait a second. Four verses in the Old Testament, and then he pops up in the Hall of Faith where he's described as having pleased God? That's a pretty big jump. Just four verses in the Old Testament, and he lands in the Hall of Faith? You've got to be kidding me. Turns out, pleasing God is pretty significant. Enoch walked with God. He was devoted to God, and he pleased God. Devotion and action. That's godliness. And and training for godliness is what prepares us for eternal fellowship with the God who alone can end a global pandemic. We're just trying to navigate it. God knows the other side of it. That's God's great plan for his kids. That's God's great plan for his children is that we would have fellowship with him. We see this from the garden to the new earth. In Genesis 3, we see God walking and calling out for Adam. And then in Revelation 21, verse 3, when when John envisions the new Jerusalem coming down, we hear God say this. He says this in Revelation 21, 3. He says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And and they will be His people, and, and God Himself will be with them as their God. God wants us to be like Him, and He wants us to be with Him, so we better start training for that now. But here's our problem. Here's where we get it a little mixed up. We can get the order wrong. We can get the order backwards. We race to the good action. We hunger for the accomplishment, yet we sometimes neglect the relationship that fuels that good action. So what do we do? How do we train for godliness? What are the small steps that we can take to help us ascend that mountain. Pure devotion, good discipline, and right direction. Pure devotion, good discipline, and right devotion. For 18 years, I kicked a football and punted a football all across the state, all across this country, and into Canada. And I did some math the other day, and uh, 18 times about four kicking practice practice sessions a a week, 10 months out of the year, about 100 balls per session, and it adds up over the 18 years to over 300,000 balls that I've kicked in practice. Uh, Not to mention uh, about 3,500 workouts and countless 5 a.m. runs and all of these things that it took to play the game of football. Now, if I told you that and that's all I told you about the story, I don't think it's something that you would be 
too excited to sign up for yourself. I don't, I don't think if I asked, hey, raise your hand if you want to go out and do something a couple of hundred thousand times and run until you throw up in a sweaty gym and just smell terrible and not be able to do anything fun a lot of the time. I don't think you would want to sign up for that. But what if I told you that there was more to the offer, that, that instead of all of that, that not being the end, that not being the goal, that it was the means to the end, and it's what got you to the goal. You see, um, I think that if you want to pursue anything in life that requires great commitment and great sacrifice, you've got to know that the goal is worth it. You've got to know that the prize is worth whatever it takes to get there. So what was, what was my end? What was my goal in football that would make me do all these crazy things like I just mentioned? You know, for me, it was something, it was something much bigger. It was being a part of a team. It was, um, you know, the bus rides. It was playing at Neyland Stadium in front of 107,000 people on the first Saturday of college football season in the South. It was, um, the stillness of the locker room before the Grey Cup, uh, the championship game in Canada. It was all of these things, the rings and everything in between. Um, I, ha- I had something else that was pushing me. You see, that was my end. That's what I really loved. Um, I'll confess, I never naturally loved just waking up super early. And, uh, you know, I, I would prefer to snooze every now and then. But to be on time for workouts and running and all these things that were required of me, I never just, you know, loved them in and of themselves. Um, but that all, you know, that all began to change. There was more. I fell in love with this game, the adrenaline that we talk about, the nerves, all these things that you just begin to crave with a game. That's what motivated me to this action, to this discipline, to this persistence, and over 18 years to this consistency. And in some weird way, in the day-to-day, the mundane task, nobody was watching. I started to see how this process began to transform my athletic career. And it started to push me towards the goals, the things that I had dreamed about in my backyard when I was a little kid. I started to see how they built off of themselves and they added up. And then guess what? I fell in love with the process. I fell in love with the process and I began loving waking up sore because I knew that I was getting stronger. I began love running until I threw up and my buddies laughing at me because I knew it was getting me closer to the goal. In some maybe weird, sick way, like I actually enjoyed this and fell in love with it throughout the process. And that's what happened. But without a love for the game, you know, without joy in the prize, it would have been crazy for me um, to commit myself to all of that. It would have been miserable. So football helped me to see how devotion, how a great love for something, it's necessary if we're going to put our hands to the plow of the the tough day-to-day task for the rest of our lives and never look back, which is what Jesus asked of us. But we have to know where the process is taking us. How does this devotion impact how we follow Jesus? Before we dive too deep into this process, um, I want to ask God just to search our hearts because I believe that true devotion requires pure motives. And we got to ask ourselves, what is our motive here? And maybe we have a false motive. Maybe um, you're like you're like me when I was in high school, and I wanted to be the good Christian guy in the in the community and get the pat on the back. And it was a selfish, self-centered faith. Or maybe it's just a lack of understanding. You've been in the church your whole life, and you've been told to read your Bible, you've been told to pray, but you just don't really get this God thing or this church thing. 
There's a lack of understanding. But what about this? What about if our pursuit is pure, if our aim is crystal clear, and we're so pointed and devoted to Jesus Christ alone and his beauty? I think that would change everything. The focal point of our pursuing godliness can never be about ourselves. It can't be this self-serving, self-advancing effort. That will never work, and it will lead you to misery like it would have led me to in my football career if all I had done was wake up and run every day. So what in the world can give us this desire? Started thinking about this, and you know, I just want to ask you, um, like, have you sat in the presence of God? Have you sat at his feet? Did he, did he come into your life and into your story and rescue you and redeem you, turn your life around, put you on right footing, give you a hope and a purpose and a future? I mean, we're talking about the same Jesus, right? Did he do the things for you that he's done for me? This is Jesus that we're talking about. Our desire to please God, to pursue this godliness. In verse 6, as it says, to become good servants of Christ Jesus. It was planted in our hearts by God himself when he gave us Jesus. So how could I not give my devotion to this God, to this man that gave me a peace that passes all understanding and gave me everything that I could ever need in his son Jesus? How could I not give him my devotion So do you see what I mean? Before we enter down this path, this process of pursuing godliness, we've got to have a devotion. We've got to have a love. We've got to have our eyes set on Jesus Christ. And I know it's not going to happen from day one. I'm not expecting this to happen for day one. But over time, as we are becoming more like Christ, he has to become our greatest desire, our highest aim, and our devotion has to be all his. You know, devotion just simply means a deep love, a loyalty, an enthusiasm for a person. We've got to have it. So how does this devotion help us train to godliness? Nick's going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute. But this, this pursuit of God, this great ambition to know, to be with, and to become more like Christ, it happens over time through committing ourselves to these disciplines that the Word of God guarantees us will transform our lives to become more like him. So devotion to Christ is worship. I want you to hear that first. Devotion to Christ is worship. And then disciplining ourselves to Christ is worship. And when you bring these two things together, and you're not all devotion and you're not all discipline, but your devotion drives your discipline, there's a multiplication of worship in your own life and in everybody that comes into contact with you. John Piper says missions exist because worship doesn't. That missions are not ultimate, but worship is. And I think the same principle is true here as we're talking about devotion and training in godliness. Like this is all about worship. This is about us having our eyes set on God, on pleasing him. He's both the fuel and the flame of our devotion for Christ and our discipline towards godliness. And let me address this. Maybe you don't have this desire. Like, I I didn't have this desire. I haven't always had this desire. So that's a real thing. Maybe we don't have this devotion. So what then? I want to encourage you to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit 
will fill you up and give you new holy hungers that you never could have dreamt up on your own. You never could have manufactured. He's going to do something in your life through His Spirit in a way that's going to allow you to begin to pursue godliness. There's a quote that says, you give your best to what you love the most. And so as I've established now that before we we begin training, we need to have a deep devotion. We need to have our eyes set on something, be so captivated to move us down this road of pursuing godliness. So Nick, can you share with us, what are some best practices? If we're going to give our best, what does that look like when it comes to training in godliness? Yeah. How do we train? Why does it matter? How do you train for godliness? It's the question we're asking today, right? How How do you train for godliness? Well, it's it's really not unlike training for anything else, whether it's a marathon or a 5K or some PhD, a medical degree, or uh, kicking the last second game-winning field goal. Uh, it, it's kind of the same process. It really boils down to two things. If you're going to train for anything, you've got to have a good diet and you've got to have good discipline. Training for godliness involves a good diet. And, and Paul passed this down. He, he passed this very important lesson down to the younger disciple Timothy in verse 6 when he says this. He says, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of faith. When, when Paul uses the word trained here, he actually means nourishment. He's commanding the disciple Timothy to find his nourishment in the word of God. Now, a good diet affects how you walk. Enoch walked with God and it pleased God. God's Word is our diet. So what's your intake? What are you putting in? Look, you can't really have a good relationship with God. You can't really commune with God without some communication, right? Are you listening to Him in the Word? Are you speaking to Him in prayer? What are you feasting on? Matthew 4, 4 says this, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need a good diet of God's Word to train for godliness. We also need good discipline. Training for godliness involves good discipline. And Paul passes this lesson down to us as well in this passage. He tells Timothy to train again, but this time he uses a different word. He uses a different word entirely. He uses an athletic word. It's gymnazo. Look at it on the screen. It looks kind of familiar, right? It's where we get our word for gymnast or gymnasium, it it means to train, to discipline, to exercise. It speaks of the rigorous, self-sacrificing training that an athlete undergoes. Paul's commanding the disciple to be disciplined, to train or practice for godliness like an Olympian. Paul uses athletic imagery to emphasize the necessity for spiritual discipline, which is the key to godly living. And as valuable as physical fitness is, Paul says spiritual fitness or godliness is far more valuable. Check it out in verse 7 and 8. He says, train yourself for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Godliness is the goal. Train yourself for godliness. And remember, godliness is devotion and action, devoting yourself to God's Word and putting it into practice. Look, we just don't drift into godliness. The the current is swimming against us here, so we must put into practice spiritual discipline to swim against the current. And some of you guys are like, practice? We talking about practice? Like, practice? We talking about practice? Yes. 
Practice is good and it's necessary. It's where our skill is developed. There's no shortcut to Olympic level skill and there is no shortcut to godliness. It's faithfulness day in and day out. Faithfulness. Put the word of God into practice. Now, you don't have to know me very well to know that I'm, I got my quirks and one of them is I like my favorite sports team. My favorite sports franchise is the Baltimore Orioles. I'm weird like that. And my favorite baseball player, I'll argue till I'm blue in the face, but he's the greatest of all time in my opinion, is Cal Ripken Jr. Cal Ripken's in the Hall of Fame. He revolutionized the position of shortstop and, and literally changed the game himself. I'll, I'll, I'll fight you on that. But he's known, he's in the Hall of Fame, but he's known for his most incredible feat, which is just showing up. Cal Ripken Jr. did the most amazing thing. He broke the record that'll never be broken. He played 2,632 baseball games in a row. 162 games for about 21 years. That's incredible. Cal Ripken Jr. showed up day in, day out, and he did the little things well. His life demonstrated good discipline. In church, training for godliness involves personal responsibility. It's our duty. Paul tells Timothy to train yourself for godliness. It's our job to work out our progress in godliness. And just like we can't expect gains in the gym if someone else is doing the work, right? But even though it's our own responsibility, it's our own duty, it sure does help to have some friends to walk alongside you on the journey. Every Wednesday, I get the opportunity to meet with three guys to train for godliness. Here's what we do. It's pretty simple. We get on the same page of the Bible, and the first question we ask each other is, what did you hear from God in the Word last week? Then we follow that up with some simple questions designed to help us see if our behavior, our actions, reflected or demonstrated right belief in the truth that we heard. And then we finish it up with a question that's probably the least important. We say, okay, Based on what you heard and what you believe, what do you need to do about it now? The first question, what did you hear from God? It's about our devotion. We're holding each other accountable to devote ourselves to God's Word. It's about our devotion. The last question, what do you need to do about it? It's about our action. Devotion in action. A simple meeting every week that helps us train ourselves for godliness. So, what are you training for? And what are you doing to get there? How's your diet? What's your intake? What are you feasting on? How disciplined are you in the simple steps that help us ascend the mountain of of godliness? How could you start training this week? Hey, start a Bible reading plan. Set a reminder in your phone to pray, journal, fast, 24 hours. Discipline yourself and generosity. Get in a group. Have you ever sought out somebody to help you read the Bible? Don't know where to start? Just ask. There are people in our church who want to disciple you and would love to do so. Just ask. But remember our problem. Remember our problem. We can race to the action. We can hunger for the accomplishment and neglect the relationship that fuels the good action. Some of us just enjoy the practice too much. We can get too focused on the goal and relish the action over the devotion. We can get the order backwards church when our discipline outpaces our devotion we are reduced to merely what we can accomplish so what happens when the trophies get tossed and they're like my trophies they're gathering dust in the attic what happens when you don't get the job what happens when you just fall flat short of the goal then what do you do 
When our discipline outpaces our devotion, we need better direction. I want to try to simplify this for us. Devotion. You can't fake it. You can't manufacture it. You want devotion? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12 tells us that he's the author and the perfecter of our faith and of your devotion and of your training in godliness. Fixing your eyes on Jesus will give you devotion. It will produce devotion in your life. And discipline. We're not supposed to wait around on this becoming godly thing. We're to go after it. We're to pursue it. A buddy of mine in Arua, Uganda, his name's Alan, he had this to say about 1 Timothy 4. I love how Paul puts it. Train yourself. This is because godliness is not something that we wake up one day and boom. There, we have it. We're righteous. But rather it's a process, and it only comes by training ourselves towards it. I love that. love that. This is all about a life that honors God in our pursuit of him and our pursuit of godliness. And really, to simplify it, it's just pursuing God. My buddy Musa in the Congo said, let's don't complicate this too much. Training in godliness is nothing more than what, than what comprises our daily relationship with Jesus. That's pretty simple, isn't it? How about this quote by Donald Whitney? He says, discipline without direction is drudgery. Discipline without direction is drudgery. So you know the scenario I played out earlier, all the things that I did, the means to my end in, in football? Man, no, no Friday night lights, no team, no bus rides. I mean, it's drudgery. That's all you get there. So we need to clarify what our direction is, what our aim is, so that we know where we're going with this devotion and this discipline. 1 Timothy 4, 9 to 10, the back part of this passage, it says the saying, talking about training for godliness, is trustworthy and it's deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, this end being godliness, we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God. Paul lays it out. Our direction is clear. It's godliness. Verse 6, six becoming a good servant of Christ. And it carries an eternal value when it's pursued. It carries an eternal value when it's pursued. So do you know the good news of Jesus in all this? Like, what's the gospel message in all of this? Since Nick gave us a, a mountain a, a story earlier, I want to give you that image as well. Let's imagine that godliness is climbing a mountain, that God is on this mountain. God, in his love and his mercy, he sends his only son, Jesus, down to earth, but not only down to earth, but down into the valley, into the mess with us at the very bottom, the valley of sinners, of dry bones. And all of a sudden, people like me and Nick and you, we get a hope about us for the first time because this Jesus looks at us and he takes our sin on his back. And he goes outside the city of Jerusalem and he climbs up a mountain named Golgotha. And he takes the weight, the wrath of God, the sin of the world on his shoulders on the cross. He dies for you and me. But three days later, he raises from the dead. And you probably heard that a thousand times. And it probably didn't excite you. Didn't make you sit up in your chair. 
because you've heard it so many times. I'm going to say it again, that Jesus rose from the dead after three days. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated the grave, and he made a way for us. He reconciled us back to the Father, and what he did really was he went down into the valley, and he grabbed us. He threw us on his back, and he climbed the mountain for us. That's what Jesus has done. That's the good news of the gospel in this story. So our devotion, our pursuit of godliness, it comes in the form of devotion and discipline, but this is all about and all because of Jesus. Don't miss that. This is all about and all because of Jesus. He's done this for us already on the cross, and he's doing it for us even now, and God sends us a helper called the Holy Spirit. We're not alone in this. We could never do this on our own. So I want to encourage you right now. Maybe you've just been playing the game like me when I was in high school. You've just been showing up and sitting in a pew and listening, but there hasn't been any devotion, any discipline, any pursuit of Christ. I imagine that word drudgery is hitting home because it was for me when I was in your shoes. Put your faith in Jesus. Follow him today. He'll fill you with a devotion that you've never had before. This, this devotion that you get with Jesus, this loving and following him, the word of God says it's available for anybody who would call on his name. This is a worldwide invitation to be devoted to Jesus Christ. And that when we do, when we uh, attach our lives, our names with the name of Christ as Christians, then we're actually commanded to discipline, to training in godliness. It's a command at that point. So Jesus is our model, and all I'm saying here is in these daily relationships, let's follow him out of devotion. Let's follow him. Let's put our hands to the plow, and, and we're guaranteed by the word of God that he'll transform us to become more like himself. So I'm going to turn this thing towards home, and I want to ask you a few pointed questions. Like, What has your devotion? What is it in this world that you are so disciplined in? And then maybe the bigger question, what direction are you headed with your life? Remember, we give our best to what we love the most. And I want to encourage you not to let the temporary distract you from the eternal. C.S. Lewis says it best, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in a slum because we can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Don't be so easily pleased. Don't be so easily pleased. Yeah, do everything you do with excellence for God and not for man, but don't give your best, the best of your devotion, the best of your discipline, the best of your training to this world. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Give your best to Jesus. And there's this great promise in the middle of this passage in verse 8. It says that training in godliness is valuable for this life and the life to come. This life and the life to come. So I want to leave you with an encouraging word from the Bible. Maybe you're like me and you failed a time or two. You don't wake up every day with full devotion to Christ. Uh, you've fallen off the wagon in your pursuit and in your training. Hadn't been to the gym in a while. I can relate. Philippians 3.13 says, Brothers, I do not consider 
that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and pressing on to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call, this pursuing godliness, this devotion in Christ Jesus. Father God, we just come before you right now with whatever devotion we have for you, God. We ask that we could encounter you in a new, fresh way, that we could experience your presence in new, fresh ways, that that our hearts would be transformed, that our minds would be transformed in a way that our devotion grows at exponential levels. God, that we would look at our lives now compared to five years ago and say, I don't know what happened. This was Jesus. So God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us a holy hunger that we can't manufacture on our own, God. Let us taste, let us feast at this holiday at the sea, in your word, in community, and in prayer. And God, let us put our hands to the plow and be disciplined, good servants of Christ Jesus until the end, God, as we direct our lives, our aim to the prize of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.